God knew I needed a, a woman, not only to pray for me, but to feed me as well. <clears throat> what I want to sharing this morning may be different than you've ever heard about this subject before, but the Holy Spirit has just unveiled something to me in a way to get answered prayer, to see some miraculous things begin to take place. It moves us from the position of just wishful thinking to the demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus is giving this, this great oration concerning John the Baptist, he said, there's none greater than John that's ever been born of a woman. John's the greatest thing. And then right after that, he said, but anyone who enters in through the kingdom of God is greater than John. You just said, John is the greatest thing that ever was born of the natural birth. And then you turn right around and say, but anybody enters into the kingdom of God is greater than John. Because John's ministry and whole life was coming and preaching, prepare the way of the Lord. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He preached about the kingdom coming, but Jesus is stating it's greater the one who enters into the kingdom of God and does the kingdom of God is greater than someone just talking about it. We're really in this day and time where God is moving us from the, the point of talking about what God is going to do and we hope he does it, maybe do it, will do it, to the point is that we're believing the kingdom of God is at hand. He said, if I by the finger of God have cast out Satan, then the kingdom of God has come to you. For some of you have sat in church and you've heard message after message and doctrine after doctrine preached and you become bored out of your head, but I'm telling you, the time is now to where you, the, everything that you know, you'll be responsible for demonstrating and seeing it come to pass. Because the power of the word of God, the power that we we take in is now to be demonstrated and activated at that point. So in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, in verse 36, the Apostle Paul gives a principle, and he's talking about life after death. If you've ever been to a funeral, you'll hear 1 Corinthians 15 quoted from a lot. But there's a greater principle than just leaving this world and, and heading into the kingdom of God. Pick it up in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, and pick it up in verse Verse 33, and I'll go down to 36. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. That's the, the point of he's talking about. Where we hang around, what we hang around develops habits within us. In that context, he goes into verse 35. Someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. That's kind of a tough thing. It doesn't come alive until it's first dead. There's a lot of dichotomies in Scripture that says the thing that we're trying to bring alive has to first die. I can't tell you how many times I've heard messages and happened to me that what I believed was going to happen, I was a young guy growing up in ministry, the vision and purpose that had to die inside of me before it could ever be resurrected. It had to die inside of me that had my, my hopes and dreams and my attitude and what I wanted to see and my expectations had to die in order for something to come up. What Paul is saying, and it's a principle, is um, verse 36, foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies, and what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain, but God gives it a body has a potential, is the word there actually, as he pleases, and to each seed it's on its own body. So what he goes on to say, you find out later on, they said first the natural and then the spiritual. 
there's a first of the natural process of sowing, which is a choice of our own will, but then there comes the supernatural transformation of the harvest. When uh, God was giving promises to Noah after the flood in Genesis 8 chapter and about verse 20 in there, and he said, as long as the earth remains, this was right after the flood came, everything was wiped out, God gives a covenant in the form of a rainbow, but he get, tells us what the covenant is. As long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest in that order. The, the seed time is something that God gives to us that is a response. I've given you a choice. Here it is. But the harvest comes is responsible for the Lord. We are responsible for the seed time, which he gave us a season. But then it's up to God how the harvest begins to come from that. And to the level that we have faith in the seed time or that season is how it happened in the harvest. So harvest is supernatural. It is the spiritual first becomes the natural. So whatever you're believing God for, that he first all comes to us and said, I've already given you everything that pertains to life and God likeness in Peter. And I've given you everything. Every good and perfect thing comes from the Father of lights, James 1.17. And then there's no variableness or shadow of turning. So if he says, I've already given it to you, but now I've given you the choice of what you do with that. He goes into Haggai and said, when he's given them everything they needed to rebuild the temple, and he goes and finds out the Haggai the prophet and finds out they haven't done anything. And he said, is the seed still in the barn? If the seed is still in the barn, I've given you what you need to make this other come about. But if you're storing it, saving it, hoarding it, whatever that might be, which was designated for God to do something temple, then the fact is he, he rebukes them and holds them responsible for that. So for everything that we do, there is a seed time and then there's a the harvest time. If you're believing God for a harvest and you haven't operated in seed time, you're going to be really disappointed when it comes out. You say, well, I've trusted God, I believe God, and nothing has come out. I have to go back and remind myself at some point in time I had an opportunity to sow seed into that. I want to give you a quick testimony. My son just called uh, uh, Diane, his mom, and said, I have this deal happening. He's a roofer, and it's $6 million. It's commercial over them all. And he said, I shouldn't get it, but I, I'm believing God for it. So I was in Mexico. She sends me a text, so we're praying. And he says, meets this lady who says, uh, who's very liberal and said, you're a white guy with tattoos. Do you own guns? And he said, yeah, I own a lot of them. She goes, that's figures. <laughs> Are you a Republican? Well, I'm more concerned. Well, that figures. So he said right then, let her know that he wasn't and she was transgender and she wanted to, you know, let him know. He said, I'm shot. <clears throat> I don't have a shot at this deal. So anyway, it goes back to years previous to this. There was a young man who worked for him probably 10 years previous to this. And the young man who wasn't doing a very good job, he was a superintendent on the, on the West Coast <clears throat> office. And he says, I need to, I'm going to quit and do something else after they spent time and money training him and everything. Kevin, instead of saying to him, you know, what a, what a jerk. <laughs> I've done this. We, we made agreements and that. He said to him, I release you and let me help you go start your own company. I will help you get where you need to be. You don't even have to sign a non-disclosure you know, non with me. I just release you to fulfill that. Fast forward years, years later, this guy is in L.A. This lady who has this big job there meets this guy, and he said, there's a guy in Texas that should be doing this roof. Wow. 
Kevin sowed in years without seeing anything happening. He didn't got, he got no benefit. There was no benefit of him releasing and blessing these people, blessing these guys and just releasing them to go fulfill what they want to do, even at some great expense of his. And he overrode, I mean, he signed off on all the certification, all the, the building materials and, and guaranteed all that and got nothing out of that. But one day there was a harvest. <clears throat> so he just called a few, couple of nights ago and he said, you won't believe this. I said, so I'm telling the story about the car. And he said, how come I don't remember that car? And I said, well, it's because it ran. When you, you don't know when it quit. <laughs> so he said, tell mom that I got the deal. The largest single deal that he's ever had. <clears throat> I said, son, do you realize that when you had a season of sowing and blessing someone, when you get no benefit, nothing out of it, but you simply did it because it's the right thing to do. You could have made it life painful for he and his family, but you released him to do what, what he can do. And even beyond that, you wanted to bless him and help him get started. Well, he got started all right. Turned out to be a multi-million dollar company there on the West Coast. He came back into, because he sowed in righteousness, it came back in multiplication in a great way. So when seed time is not always just about giving offerings and money, it's about blessing people, loving people, and giving something that's the very God-like nature, because when we sow in righteousness, the Bible said, we will also reap in righteousness. And when the Bible talks about reaping, it's not, you know, seed for seed, dollar for dollar, but it is, it is reciprocity, which is tremendously. You sow a seed, but you get a whole corn, ear corn. You sow seed, and you get a whole field so it becomes more than what we thought could be and plan on. So there's a seed time that has the ability by the Spirit to have vision for what it'll be. So as you need whatever you're believing God for, we're in a season to sow something for what it shall be. Not just say, well, I, I hope it is, I'm praying it'll be. Now hear me. You can love God with all of your heart, mind, and strength, but if you don't have a seed time, no matter how much you love God, there will not be a harvest time. In the same sense, when we stand before the Lord and he says the books are open, plural, and we'll give an account for that, what are we giving the account for? Just showing up on time, being consistent? I don't know, maybe there may be a check for that box. But it's really is, what have you done with what I've given you? And we know the Bible said it is God who gives, he gives seed to the sower. What have you done with what I've given you? You didn't have to come up with it on your own. You didn't have to make it happen. You simply had to be one who's obedient to what I've given you. Now, all of us carry the power to bless. If you've read that book, hopefully you have. The power to bless is seed in and of itself. I can choose to withhold it. I can choose to give it. Forgiveness is like a seed. I can hold it to not forgive but if I don't forgive, I'm not given. And if I'm not giving, then I'm not receiving. And the one thing that keeps us, well, a number of things. One thing is that if you don't forgive, you'll not be forgiven. So I can be bound in heaven and bound in earth. So it's one thing that I can bind the enemy here, but I can't bind the enemy here if I'm bound in heaven. And one of the things that binds us in heaven is, number one, is not having a generosity and not having a forgiving heart with that. So if we're, we're doing that here as we sow into the heavens, the earth, heavens sow back into the earth. So one of the things Paul tells us, there's first the natural and then the spiritual. Right now we have the ability in a natural realm 
to sow towards the spiritual realm. In the same way, I have a book coming out in August that gets into this, The Currency of Heaven. If I want the power and the authority to operate on earth, I look at what I've sown into the heaven. And when, when Abram, uh, God speaks back to Abram, and Abram tells him, he says, well, I don't have a son. And God said, well, I'm going to give you a son. And the Bible said, and Abram counted it for righteousness sake. The word account there is a literal translation means accounting. I have placed that in your deposit in the heavens. So we have an account in heaven. We have books in heaven. So as we sow into the heavens, there's an accounting there. So when we come against the powers of the enemy, what we're saying is, I have the count that I have in heaven, I'm withdrawing from that, and I bind on earth what has already been bound in heaven, and there's a divine connection that happens that literally can destroy the works of the enemy here. But if I have unforgiveness there, the devil knows it exactly here, and I have no power and dominion. Just what I, you know, in my own mind with that. All right. In Matthew, the sixth chapter, he tells us, and Jesus talking about where your treasure is, there's your heart is. So everything God does, he looks at the heart more than anything else. 1 Samuel 17, when Samuel comes to, to anoint the new king of, of Israel, and he, he looks at all the, David's brothers, Eliab, and, and he said, surely the, king's, the king is before me. And God says, no, I look upon the heart. Man looks upon the outward. So there's the giving. God looks at the heart, the generosity. Deuteronomy 18 says, God who gives you the power to make wealth. Here's the thing. It doesn't say get wealth, but to make wealth. How do you make something? Sowing and reaping. The power literally is translated the authority. I've given you right or authority to take something that is natural and to create something that is supernatural. In the same way that the Word and the Spirit, we can... We, profess, we declare, we can prophesy the word that's very natural, <clears throat> but then the spirit comes together with the word, and the word and spirit together cause a cataclysmic transformation. A catalyst is where two elements have to come together before there's an explosion. You can put, there's two types of glue, epoxy, I don't remember what the other part is, you can put, you can have one without the other and it doesn't do anything make, except sticky. You put that together with the epoxy and that thing will glue you from now on. You're held. And so that's a catalyst. When the Word and the Spirit come together, there's a binding covenant of the Word of God that God says He is held to His Word, not because of what we think, but how we responded to Him in seeing that. Right. There's, a, there's three verses in, in Exodus that I'm just going to refer to quickly. But this was the time when they were rebuilding, that they were building the tabernacle. It's the first time that God said, Prepare, build a place for me so I can come and dwell among you. In other words, God says he's been living in the cloud, he's been living in the fire, but now he wanted to put himself closer to them and he put himself inside this, this box called the Ark of the Covenant. The word covenant means to cut and bleed. So the idea is that a covenant, bereath, means long before that there's animals that are going to be sacrificed but the time would come when the, when the covenant of Jesus Christ would be cut and because of that cutting, there would be a covenant, which would be the covenant he makes with his bride. So God wanted to express to them right then that seed time and harvest is a covenant that is a natural that this earth responds to. And then secondly, there's a covenant that he wants to come closer to us than ever before. But it was through sacrifices that spoke of their heart. 
So it was always a strange thing. Why did God want a bunch of animals sacrificed? I mean, it was a smelly, nasty place, blood out everywhere. And, you know, look at that and say, why would God find something in that? But he says that the sweet smell of the, the sacrifice. Well, if you've ever been around where they've been branding cattle or anything with hide, which I did when I was a kid, it stinks. I still have the smell today. Not on me, but, you know, <laughs> I can still smell it today. That burning flesh means it sounds terrible and nasty. Somehow or another, God receives it. And the reason is, it's not because it smells so good, but the idea, it speaks of the heart when you offer something to the Lord. The giving of oneself, the giving of an offering, the giving of life, the giving of time is a covenant response to what I believe God, who God is. Now, there's three, there's three verses in, in Exodus 35 that's, that... Uh, that really has, has changed my thinking about how do we get um, believing God for supernatural things. In Exodus 35, verse 5, it said, Who take among you, these, they're get, gathering the, the materials up to, for the tabernacle, badger skin, that whole big tent. Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Here's the kicker. Whoever is of a willing heart, no one had to be robbed at gunpoint or spear point <clears throat> and let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. Let him have a willing heart. So the first test is a willing heart before the Lord. That is the offering that God's looking for. Not under duress, not under pressure. It is a willing heart because that's the heart to receive. <clears throat> excuse me. If you went back into when Jesus was in the temple standing at the back of the room, there was the, the box for alms primarily and this widow lady who puts into the, the offering box two copper coins was all she had, and to her it was a semblance of all that her heart was. And Jesus said back to her, back to the, the disciples and all the Pharisees, well, she has given more than any of you. So God doesn't look about the, how many zeros, he looks at the quality of the heart. Where your treasure is, there's your heart. So he says in Exodus 35, any, all of those who have a willing heart that they were to give. And then he says it in a different way in verse 21. Everyone who came whose heart was stirred <clears throat> and everyone whose spirit was willing. That has hit me between the eyes. And, he, and the Holy Spirit said to me, many people pray for the Holy Spirit to come and move upon them. But I'm telling you that your spirit needs to move first before my spirit. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit convicted me saying, I'm waiting on your spirit, that eternal part, goes before the Lord, goes up into heaven, that, you know, eternal. I'm waiting for your spirit to be moved so that I can move in response to that. So when he said, it's a willing heart or a movement in your own spirit. So when you look, go into Isaiah, it said, uh, those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. The word wait there, kavah, means to braid together until you become one. You can find places in Scripture where, where the, in Luke, the fifth chapter, where the woman who has the issue of blood, been there for 12 years, and she said within herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be whole. What do you think she was, that was really meaning? Her spirit was moved inside of her, if I can just step out and touch the hem of his garment, I'll be moved. But the issue is we sometimes ask for the Holy Spirit. Come on, Holy Spirit, move, Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit, and I'm waiting on the Holy Spirit. 
Those who wait on the Lord, he's braving us to gather with one with him so that our spirit would be one with him and respond in that way. The first cross at the crossing at the Red Sea, Moses had a rod, took out his hand, God did it all. They became dependent upon God doing it all. But the second time that there was a crossing was at Jordan, and God tells Moses that you put the, the priest, or Joshua's involved there, you put the, the Ark of the Covenant on the shoulders of the priest and have them step into the water first. There, there's a time where the Holy Spirit shows us how he moves, but then after that it's like, I need your spirit to move in regard to that. Give me something I can work with. There was a, a missionary uh, from China that was in China back in the days when there was no motorized ships and, and uh, they were just going from island to island. He was an evangelist. And one day he was asleep in the ship, and I'm trying to remember his name. Anybody remember that name? Huh? Hudson Taylor. Thank you, baby. Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was in the ship resting, and there came a dead calm over the, the ocean. The captain comes down to him and said, you better pray because we are drifting to an island and it's cannibalistic. And my imagination, they're out there thanking God for dinner. <clears throat> Hudson told him, he said, I cannot pray until you first put up the sails. And they said, it takes a lot of work to put up the sails. So we no reason to put up a sail until we get some wind. And he said, I'm not praying until you put up the sails. Dead calm. Finally, they agreed to do that. They hoist the sails. Hudson prayed, and the story is that there became like a, a whirlwind came out of the heavens and, all, and then blew against the sails. And they pushed them back out to sea. The point is, if, they didn't, if God didn't have anything to blow against, and so faith is, I'm going to give him something to work with. Faith means I'm giving him something he can push out back out. I'm giving him something to work with. So if I'm believing to heal the sick, but I'm just praying about it, but I haven't given God any, any steps of faith to move towards that, which is laying on of hands, declaring the word of God over that, then I have given him nothing to blow against. So when we see God moving, first of all, our spirit is willing inside of us, like the woman with the issue of blood, our spirit first has to be moved inside of us before anything happens at that point. <clears throat> a few, number of years ago, I was in a small little town in Steelwell, Oklahoma. It's just amazing how I even got there. Um, there probably wasn't 20 people in the whole, whole uh, building. Pews there. They had an upright piano. And I mean, it was, I could even tell it was not in tune. And they were singing, saying, clink, 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 clink. People were sitting down. Nobody responded. Nobody moved. And I thought, oh, God, what did I do to if you send me to the backside of this desert? So I was asking the Lord, what did I do? And I was, re I was repenting. God, forgive me. I didn't know. And I heard the Lord saying, it's not about you. It's about what I want to do to them. Okay. I thought maybe you're going to bring hellfire down. I'm going to step back. <laughs> and he, so I, I got up and tried to preach, shared my best jokes, which didn't go over well, really well. And all of a sudden I heard the Lord saying, release your spirit. How do I do that? I've heard messages all my life. I've never heard anybody talk about releasing your spirit. I know about releasing praise, releasing, you know, honor the Lord, releasing those kind of things. No, release your spirit. Just in the same way that Moses, excuse me, Noah, 
released the dove out of the ark, and the dove flew around and came back. The time when it didn't come back, that meant there was land there. He said, but you've got to release, release the dove. <clears throat> I had no idea how this. So all of a sudden it realized, so I just stepped up there, and they were just like this, just totally out of it. Pastor was sort of, I mean, he, he brought me there hoping to be a miracle. And all of a sudden I just started singing, singing, and you've heard me. I don't sing that well. That's another confession I should make. <laughs> but you already knew that, so winning point. I just started singing a song, prophetic song in the Spirit, about the goodness of God. Shut my eyes so I couldn't see them. And it was just a personal time between me and the Lord, just <clears throat> declaring His goodness and His favor. A little bit I heard some noise and I looked up and over half the 20 people were down on their knees crying out to God. I saw the Holy Spirit release that dove upon them. But I learned that that day I had to first release my spirit, which is an act of faith, in order for the Lord to come in partnership with that. Otherwise, I'm saying, God, you do it and I'll get the credit for it. You have to release your spirit so the spirit of man, the spirit of God coming together releases faith in the atmosphere and, and literally transforms things. And we did. We saw it and I went back a number of times after that. Saw the power of God manifest openly, but it wasn't through the preaching. It wasn't through me trying to goad them into it. It was just simply releasing your spirit as unto the Lord. So my point this morning is I believe God's going to move upon us to know how to release our spirit in behalf of conditions and situations that we're looking for someone else to do it for us or in behalf of us. And I'm all for praying for people as we've seen us do. But somewhere point in time, there's a point that you have to say within yourself, as a woman did in Luke 5, if I can and I will, to be spirit is willing, the flesh is weak, I am pressing in and I'm going to see the power of the Holy Spirit move in behalf of what God's saying to me. Now, I want to give <clears throat> three ways real quickly how we can activate our spirit in a time of need to know how that we're to respond to that. Number one, Hebrews the 13th chapter says, let us offer the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips, the fruit meaning the result of something else, the fruit of our lip is a result of an encounter with the Lord. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips, through Jesus. So the number one thing is, when you're facing something, you know what to do to release your spirit. Just allow there to be a thanksgiving, a heart of praise unto the Lord, not about the problem, situation, but unto the Lord. We'll enter the gates. We enter His presence with thanksgiving in our heart. So we enter into that. But a lot of times, the first thing we do is we panic we rehearse the problem, we're upset over it, and we never enter into that point of saying, I'm releasing my spirit into the heavens, and likewise, he comes and he ministers back over us. Here's the second thing. Hebrews 13, 1 is the first one. The second one is Psalms 103, and it's related to the, to the word. And he said, the angels who do excellent respond to the word of the Lord. The angels respond to what God says to the Word of God. So it's not a matter of just saying, God, would you send an angel? We have no, I don't think we have authority over angels. I mean, sometimes people have angels, they have manifestation, but it's because somehow or another, 
Because the Bible says we are made or created lower than the angels. So if you have an angelic encounters, it's because somehow or another the Lord has sent them to do it. In fact, there was an angel who was going in with Joshua and lead him into the land, and God tells Joshua, don't make this angel upset. Don't tick him off. Because he can't forgive you like I can. Whoa. So it lets us know the angels have a different personality and mindset. So when he says at that point, Psalms 103, verse 20, that the angels of the Lord respond to his word. So the second thing that activates our spirit is declaring the word of God. As I believe, so shall I speak. And activating your spirit, let God arise up out of your spirit and see the manifestation of the Lord in his presence at that moment. So if you're needing a miracle, you can get so set upon the problem and so set on rehearsing the problem that you haven't activated anything except all the demons in hell are in agreement with you. Yeah, we know you got it pretty bad, and I'm going to reinforce that. I'm going to make you feel worse about it than what you thought about. I'm going to have you rehearse it in your nighttime, in your sleep, all the time. As Psalm 16 said, it's the, at nighttime, the Lord not only inhabits, but he comes and he upgrades, he ministers to our spirit in the nighttime, in his presence or fullness of joy. All right, here's the third thing. Genesis 4, Adam and Adam, uh, excuse me, uh, Cain and Abel are offering to the Lord. They understand what God is wanting. Cain decides to offer what he wants to. Abel chooses to offer what God said to. So there's a difference there. So he offers what God said, and the, they believe, scholars tell us, that the God who answers by fire came upon him and consumed the sacrifice. Abel's offering is still sitting there, vegetables and things that he's grown with his own hand, and nothing happens. Now here's the key. And God said <clears throat> to him, where's your brother? Because he killed him. And he said, I can tell by your countenance, sin is at the door. There was something connected by, by giving, offering to the Lord what he says causes our countenance. And by the way, the word kara there is the word for glory, a facial for the glory of the Lord carry on our face. That the glory of the Lord is not there, but instead the enemy is crouching out the door to get you. So the third thing is, hear the Lord, present an offering before the Lord, and see how the Lord will begin to take off and do that way. I have several stories where Diane and I have given offerings related to. Now hear me. I don't believe that you can buy God to do anything. But offerings always reflect the heart. I've seen it with over our children time and again. Diane and I choose that around feast days of the, <clears throat> of the Hebrews, festival days, the first fruits and and we just finished Purim, that we give an offering to uh, Messianic Jews uh, from friends that we know primarily in Ukraine. Every time we've done that, we went back and we, we discussed, every time we have done that, we've seen something happen that is just way, way beyond what we, we were giving. We didn't do it to get because that would be very, very um, carnal, but we're doing it because we know that the Bible said when you bless the Jews... When you honor the Lord, then something that he comes and does. So what, that doesn't come back in money. Sometimes it just comes back in the peace of God, presence of God. And so we're honoring the Lord with our substance. And out of honoring the Lord with our substance, it means that the spirit <clears throat> that comes and steals, kills, and destroys is literally just killed. 
The spirit of mammon is not about, the spirit of mammon is not money. The spirit that is attached to money that gives fear, because poverty can be fear, the fear of not having enough. Poverty is the fear of losing something at whatever level that is. So to break fear, we come in the opposite spirit and to see the Lord releasing all that he said to us. Now, let me finish up with this. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. We understand this verse is God gives seed to the sower, but there's something else in there that he says that is more demonstrative than that. And picking up verse 7. So each one of you give as his purposes in his heart. One translation says purposes or makes up his mind about, not grudgingly or necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. He supplies seed to the sower and bread for food shall supply the seed you have sown, increase the fruits of your righteousness. But he says, Paul is saying there, make up your mind that giving has to be a decision that my mind is not waffling with. Make up my mind. Yeah, we find where Paul talks about a number of places that it's the renewing of your mind. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. So when I make up my mind, then there's a transformation begins to come. I didn't grow up in a family that was really generous, <clears throat> it's very poverty mentality, though we had, some, we had enough, we were sufficient. My mother was generous, my dad was not so much because I felt like he had to work for it. He worked two or three jobs, I would go to work with him on some of those jobs. And um, at each time, it would be something that would relate it to the fear of something happening to him. So with my mother, it was that we're going to give to God. And he would tell her, says, you give out of what you make, Don't, you're not going to give out of what I make. And he said, all right, you don't want God to bless you then. He said, well, no, me and God's fine. I'm just fine. I work hard for that. <clears throat> so anyway, she was always giving. She had babysitting service and worked at a laundromat and some very menial jobs, for that, but she always tithed off that. Well, one day, my dad's horse, who he loved, this horse, Bay Boy, his horse got sick. It found her. Vet came out and said, it's not good. So my dad tells my mother, I said, um, um, baby boy's sick. She never went out the barn. She didn't care anything about that horse, really. She goes, oh, okay, well, well is that good? Not good? No, it's sick. He, he's done for. And she said, okay. He said, uh, no, I want you to go do your thing. <laughs> <clears throat> and she said, and what might that be? <laughs> I want you to pray for my horse. Oh, now you believe God because you need God, but the rest of the time when you had opportunity, see time, you have not done so. He said, well, yeah, I know, but, but God will hear you. And you believe, she, she prayed over that horse, went out the barn. I had to go with her because she didn't know what was out there. Pull, I pulled the horse's head around. He was in the stall. She put her head on that white blaze face. She said, God, you created this critter. And I, that he's going to be an opportunity for the miracle of God. I want you to show Ernie, my dad's, and Ernie, how powerful you are. That he would recognize who you are through the creation that you've created. She laid a hand and she slapped that head in the horse. Be healed and walked off. <clears throat> the vet came out two days later and told him, said, I don't find anything. He's, he came out to put the horse down. And said, I don't find any, that he's founded, I don't find any problem with him at all. Your horse is okay. So he didn't even tell my mother. She said, well, how, how's your horse? He's all right. I said, no, no, no. 
how's your horse? Well, the vet says he's going to live. And he said, he's living because God heard our heart, and he heard my heart, and he hears our giving. From that day on, he tells her, all right, you can, you can give out of my side of it. <clears throat> God has a way of giving our attention. Now, 1 Peter 2, verse 5, we are living stones built up a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer gifts and sacrifices. We are a temple of God fulfilling an Old Testament. We still give gifts and sacrifices on the Lord. The gifts and sacrifices <clears throat> is not what the tithe he's talking about, but it's from the heart where we willingly honoring the Lord with what our hearts. Now, the tithe is the tenth, it's just the testing, but the gifts and sacrifices are things that the Holy Spirit speaks to us individually. So we're believing God for them. Stand with me, would please. Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 8. List one of the, the gifts of the Spirit is the, the gift of giving. Most of us never even think about that. There's a few people in my lifetime that I've known that had the gift of giving. Not the ability to give, that's different. But the gift of giving is the heart, the ability to recognize when there's a need. Like the Samaritan, the parable of the Samaritan. He recognized there's a need, the Pharisees saw the need, but didn't do anything about it. Someone who has the gift of giving, sees it through the eyes of Jesus with such a mercy and a compassion. You find all the way through the scriptures, you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. How we've honored those that are hurting. And that's where we started 37 years ago with love and deed. Honoring people and loving them and showing forth, not that they're showing their poverty, showing the shame, but loving them in such a way of saying, Jesus is wanting you to know this. Jesus is wanting you to know he cares about you. And handing them the groceries that is brought about because of your giving and giving them such love as if the Lord took it and gave it to themselves. The Bible said when you give to the poor, you lend to God. So that there is a representation of our heart before heaven when it comes to the whole thing of giving. So there's the gift of giving is not trying to find a way that I, I can do the math and see the least that I can do but it's a generosity to sing what I can do. I appreciate over the years that Diane and I have always, we would pray separately on particular areas of giving. And I said, what do you think we need to give? And I would write something down, she'd write something down. And I don't know of a time that we've never not had the same number. And every time it's way beyond what my mind felt. I would argue with God, but God, I do all this other. I do all these other good things. I, I work hard. I go do. I. That's your, that's an offering of yourself. I'm talking about where you're sacrificing something that you have value on and you can't get it back. It's not an offering till it's released. It's not an offering if I can say, so I want you to do this, this, and this with it. Although, case of the building, it is designated and it'll always it'll get there. 
But when we release it unto the Lord, it becomes supernatural. So, Father, we present ourselves today as an offering of praise and thanksgiving. According to Romans 12, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So the lifting up of our hands, the time and energy that we spend, the times that we do it, even when we don't feel like it, but we've honored you because we see that it's not just a person doing something, the motions, but there's something supernaturally happened. So in the time that I have need, I can go back to the Father and I know that I have deposited unselfishly towards the kingdom of God. Forgive us, Lord, where we've withheld doing good, but it's been our ability to do it. But Father, I pray that you would put upon every one of us a generosity heart, a gift of giving to the poor, to the city, to the nation, and bless everything that stands before us today. And we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to bring us into your calculation of how the kingdom of God operates, not how we think it operates. Because the kingdom of God operates differently than the kingdom of man. You take a little and you, you make it become a lot more. So I just bless this house today. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness, favor upon us. We pray over the food, Lord, that we're going to eat together and fellowship around the table together and commune with one another. And thank you, Lord, for the household of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. Uh, if you're first time here today, we, work, we welcome you. Glad that you're here. Those watching online, sorry you don't get to eat with us, but you'll just have to imagine it. But you're going to eat with us. Go out. You can go out this door of the south lobby either way. You can go through there, and there's the hallway with the food. You can sniff it out. You can figure it out, and go down that line. There'll be people helping you there with. Well, Amen. Thank you for your your giving. We're gonna we're gonna believe God.